Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The lead with Jake Tapper did not air on CNN today. For this podcast episode, we are bringing you an hour of CNN coverage from earlier in the day. Welcome to a special Thanksgiving edition of Inside Politics. I'm Nia Malika Henderson, in for John King. Two key figures in the impeachment inquiry, including the president's lawyer, now facing new credibility questions. Another military figure after being ousted from the Trump administration is now calling out the commander in chief. And we hope you can take a moment away from politics to be thankful on this holiday and enjoy the clowns, even though they're a little scary. People dressed up like butter, that's what people do apparently on Thanksgiving, and the giant balloons. If you eat turkey today, you don't have to go to school tomorrow. begin the hour with new scrutiny for two key players in the impeachment probe. One is the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and new reporting that shows overlap between Giuliani's business and his pursuit of Biden dirt in Ukraine. The other is Gordon Sondland, a star Democratic impeachment witness who said the president directed a pressure campaign aimed at Ukraine. Sondland testified he called the president on September 9th, and the president told him he wanted nothing from Ukraine's President Zelensky. The call is a key part of the White House impeachment defense. In testimony, Sondland said his recollection was clear. I still cannot find a record of that call because the State Department and the White House cannot locate it, but I'm pretty sure I had the call on that day. Whether it was the 9th or the 8th, you had this call. It was extremely memorable, right? It was. The call with President Trump on September 9th or the 8th, you recall it vividly, right? I recall it vividly because it was keyed by the sort of frantic emails from Ambassador Taylor. So I made the call and I asked, as I said, the open-ended question, what do you want from Ukraine? And And that's when I got the answer. But new reporting from the Washington Post highlights discrepancy in Sondland's account and Sondland's timeline, raising questions about whether the call happened when Sondland says it did, and as he described it. Here with me to share the reporting and their insights, we've got Josh Jossie with the Washington Post, Catherine Lucy with the Wall Street Journal, Melanie Zanona with Politico, and Tolu Olaranipa with the Washington Post. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm so grateful uh, that you guys are taking time out to be uh, with us here today. Uh, Josh, I'm going to start with you on this call. It's part of uh, your reporting, the story in the Washington Post, really digging in to this call that Tomlin says happened on September 9th. Some things aren't checking up, right? Checking out in terms of records of this call and the timeline of when he says it happened, also a little odd. Well, the records of the call cannot be located. They can't be procured by Sondland's lawyer, by the State Department, by the White House. Now, the president uses 
various cell phones and various ways to connect through with others that don't always go through the White House Situation Room. So it's possible it did happen, but he clearly there's no written record of it. And for the call to have happened the way he said it happened, it would have had to have been way before dawn, four right. or five in the morning. Now, would you know the president gets up early? Yes, he but, does. He likes uh, to tweet early. This would have been even far earlier than he's normally known to wake up. And the fact that no record can be procured of this and that Sondland's memory, uh, as you saw him hedging a little bit there in the clip, uh, raises some questions about if it really happened, when and how they said it did. And GOP folks, as well as uh, the president, very much latching onto the call. Uh, some of the Republican uh, folks who were asking him questions wonder why he didn't put this in his opening uh, testimony and you saw the president there uh, basically write out the transcript of this call and say and and read that on the White House lawn. There was another call and I want to play this here. This is what Bill Taylor said of another call that happened before this September 9th call. September 7th, I had a conversation with Mr. Morrison in which he described a phone conversation earlier that day between Ambassador Sondland and President Trump. According to Mr. Morrison, President Trump told Ambassador Sondland he was not asking for a quid pro quo. But President Trump did insist that President Zelensky go to a microphone and say he is opening investigations of Biden and 2016 election interference and that President Zelensky should want to do this himself. This call, of course, not as favorable uh, to the president and much different from the one that Sondland describes. Yeah, and we've seen Sondland change his testimony multiple times already over the last few weeks. It shows that he has some issues with his memory, deciding whether or not he needs to update his, uh, his testimony. He's changed it multiple times. So there are some questions about whether the September 7th call is actually what he remembers, where the president did say, you know, I don't want any quid pro quo, but I do want what was essentially a quid pro quo, which is that, you know, Zelensky should go to the mics and announce his investigation into Biden. So Republicans haven't really focused as much on that call. They've said it was hearsay. They've said that this is uh, various State Department officials and diplomats saying that they heard this, uh, that they heard secondhand about this call, not necessarily focusing on this call as much because it's not as favorable to the president. But if it turns out that this is a call that Sondland remembers, where the president does say no quid pro quo, but he also says, I want you know, these investigations to be announced, then it makes it much harder for Republicans to say that the president just did not want anything that was untoward from the Ukrainians. Right. And we all obviously know, Catherine, from the call, he was directly uh, heard on this call. It was transcribed, uh, at least in part, where he says, I want you to do me a favor, though, and list the things uh, he wants. And also, what do you think about Somlin's credibility, right? He says he's not a note taker. Sometimes he said, you know, maybe his memory isn't in the, isn't the best and needed to be uh, refreshed. Well, there is a sort of Rashomon-like aspect to some of this testimony now, right? Everyone remembering different pieces of it in different ways and then sometimes coming back and with Somlin coming back and sort of editing right. or adding bits and pieces to their testimony that makes it hard to sort of unpack the order of events. But Sondland himself quite candidly says he doesn't have notes. He is not a note, he's not a note taker guy. And he <laughs> described himself as you know, yeah. quite openly. Yeah, yeah. And and doesn't and did not have access to sort of emails and records that might help him sort of recreate some of these memories. And so he essentially is acknowledging this as he right. as he comes before Congress. And he said boastfully, I talk to world leaders all the time. It's yeah. just what I do. Yeah, yeah. Sondland essentially. And that I may not remember the details of all of these calls. I mean, because there's watch, so many calls. If you watch him and your Republicans and Democrats, it's hard to latch on to any part of what he's saying. You even saw maybe his work from Venezuelans, maybe work for a whole litany of countries that Rudy Giuliani is doing. But at the end of the day, he's been at the White House a considerable amount. He talks to the president all the time. He was the president's main legal defender during the Mueller probe. He was the main kind of uh, attack dog on television. 
So it's hard for the president to say, you know, who's Rudy Giuliani? Yeah. I, I don't think he can do that. Another here. thing to watch, too, I think, is that Rudy Giuliani also so far has been very loyal to the president. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think right. one thing we saw with Michael Cohen was the president did distance himself. That happened over a period of time. But also at some point, Cohen said, I have to look out for my family. I have to protect myself. Right. And, and when that turn happened, that was significant. That was and, significant. And thus far, we, have seen, we haven't seen a lot of daylight between yeah, the so two. So we'll have to watch this. Also today, disturbing accusations leveled against Ambassador Salman. Three women tell ProPublica on the record that Salman engaged in sexual misconduct and then professionally punished the women when they rejected his unwanted advances. Family friends and colleagues of each alleged victim all recall being told about the incidents at the time. Sondland's personal spokesman responded to the accusations last night. It's a sad climate in America when these kinds of underhanded stories are trying to affect political outcomes. And I think most people, readers and public officials too, are going to be able to see right through it. It's underhanded and it's garbage. And we'll be right back. President Trump is in Florida today, spending the holiday with his family at Mar-a-Lago. He'll also talk to members of the military, as he does each Thanksgiving. But this year, he's also facing some very public criticism from his recently ousted Navy secretary. We've got CNN's Jeremy Diamond joining us live from West Palm Beach. Jeremy, talk about uh, the dynamic that the president on this Thanksgiving, uh, about to talk to troops, uh, what's the dynamic that he's facing with the military right now? Uh, Well, Nia, look, senior military and Pentagon officials have long expressed concerns about the president's impulsive decision making, uh, most recently with regards to the Syria withdrawal. But they are now also expressing concerns privately about the president's recent actions uh, to intervene in the cases of three uh, service members who were accused of war crimes. And those concerns are leading to plummeting morale at the Pentagon, according to uh, our colleague Barbara Starr. Um, And uh, those concerns were really uh, elucidated by Richard Spencer, the recently ousted Navy secretary. Here's what he wrote in an op-ed as it relates to President Trump's recent decision uh, to intervene in the case of Eddie Gallagher. He writes, this was a shocking and unprecedented intervention in a low level review. It was also a reminder that the president has very little understanding of what it means to be in the military, to fight ethically, or to be governed by a uniform set of rules and practices. So that is some uh, fairly scathing criticism there uh, from the recently ousted Navy secretary. But again, Nia, the important part here is that it really uh, brings to life many of the concerns uh, that we are hearing privately from senior defense officials, senior military officials. And now uh, the president has this call later today uh, with uh, military personnel. Uh, Last year, we know that he already chose to go in a political direction with that call. Speaking with the general uh, serving in Afghanistan, the president compared the fight against terrorists there to his efforts to combat illegal immigration in the United States. So that is also a concern, the president's politicization of the military, and we may very well see the president uh, do the same later today. Nia? Yeah, that's happening uh, later this afternoon. Jeremy, thanks for that report, and happy Thanksgiving to you down in Florida. And we'll bring it into the into the room here, scathing op-ed, as Jeremy uh, talked about there. And one of the things that came to light, Josh, in this op-ed is that the president intervened early uh, and multiple times on uh, this case. Why is he doing this? 
Well, the president has seen uh, Gallagher, Eddie, Eddie Gallagher, on Fox News a number of times. He has some high-profile defenders, Pete Hexef, a Fox News defender. And the president has been uh, inclined to intervene in these cases for many months. If you remember, he tried to do it earlier this year, and there was kind of fierce backlash here. You had the Pentagon, who went over to the White House, uh, Mark Milley, uh, Mark Esper, chairman of Joint Chiefs, secretary of defense, and tried to convince the president in explicit terms Please don't do this. Let the process play out. Showed him, you know, pictures of a crime, showed him more than an hour of details because they thought he was getting bad info from right. others. And the president said, OK, I'll think about it. And then he did it. Yeah. And then and then the most remarkable part was after he did it, the Navy tried to not implement at first what the president wanted. So then the president tweeted again <laughs> to say, you will do what yes. I want. Yes. And, they and it was a remarkable, it was a remarkable rebuke of the military and the president. Vice versa. They both were basically playing chicken with the other. Right. And, and now the president making this a part of his stump speech. Who knows if it'll be a permanent part, but it certainly uh, was recently down in Florida. I stuck up for three great warriors against the deep state. I had so many people say, sir, I don't think you should do that. I will always stick up for our great fighters. People can sit there in air-conditioned offices and complain, but you know what? Doesn't matter to me whatsoever. And Catherine, you see the president uh, extending the language of the deep state uh, to the military, particularly military leaders, uh, some of whom he put in these positions. Yeah, I mean, this is an extension of sort of a broader point he makes a lot, but Washington is working against him that he is fighting for, for real people, he's fighting for real Americans, he's fighting for these warriors. So the that, folks on the, the ground. of Washington yeah. is, is, is stacked against him. And you're going to hear more of this theme, both with this and with other cases. But, I mean, we've, we've seen him again and again use a really expansive view of executive powers with the military, with the DOJ, with agencies. You know, he, when he wants his way on these things, he is very bold about going through to whatever the advice is that he gets. And he's run up against uh, military leadership on any number of issues, Talu. You think about the withdrawal from Syria, uh, Afghanistan troop levels, the ban on transgender uh, service members, which I believe he announced via tweet, uh, participation in NATO, ending war games with South Korea, pardons for alleged war crimes, which is what we're talking about now. Yeah, the president has said multiple times, I know better than the generals. That's I know right. more than the generals. And we've seen it with this long list of situations where he basically contradicts his own experts, his own military leaders, and says, I'm the commander in chief. I was elected. And without being briefed or without following the briefing that he gets from his leaders saying, you know, I'm going to go with my gut on everything from whether we should pull troops out of Syria to whether or not we should keep troops in Afghanistan. So uh, Josh and I were at uh, Mar-a-Lago last year where the president had these phone calls with the military leaders and he spent a lot of time saying, oh, I know what we should be doing when it comes to buying ships for the military. And I do think you can expect that again today where the president will be politicizing this phone call and saying that he knows the best. We were in this slathered in gold foyer last year Right. And the president <laughs> right. was on the phone with these military leaders and he was saying, you know, trade's very important to me. And I think we have a lot of problems with trade and the military leader at the other end. We don't see any issues with trade here. Yes. Yes. It was just a remarkable. And this will be occurrence. later. This will be later today. We've got some reporting from Barbara Starr about what this means for the actual military and, and division. The military is divided. One official said there are two camps. Half are ardent Trump supporters that believe the president is 
watching out for the troops, but the other half, many of whom are high-ranking, believe the military must remain independent of partisan political influence, and they don't see the president adhering to that, Melanie. Well, it sounds like tensions have been bubbling up for a while, and things are really coming to the head, especially with the Syria decision and pulling our troops and abandoning our Kurdish allies. Uh, But what's really striking to me is the disconnect between Trump's love of the military and his understanding of the military. You know, this is a president who ran on supporting the troops, supporting the military, supporting the veterans. And yet, at the same time, he makes these decisions, as Tulu was saying, that goes against his own national security advisors, goes against these generals. And so it just does not seem to be like he's actually connecting with what the military wants and what their guiding ethical principles are. But there's also this uh, dynamic where he likes the generals, right? He often talks about uh, my generals. He had uh, generals in jobs that don't normally go to former uh, military folks like uh, John Kelly. But when he wants to go against the generals as well, Tolu, he yeah, does that. He, he likes them sort of as a prop. He <laughs> likes to see them dressed up with all of their military. Or the, or the dog this or week that he had the photo with. The that, that came out. You know, yeah, we're maybe. still yes. trying to figure that out. But yeah, the president <laughs> likes the the trapping. Let's not reopen the door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and as we go to break, Republican senators posting this video to express their appreciation for members of the U.S. military on Thanksgiving. Most grateful for our men and women in uniform who keep us safe and keep us free. On behalf of my family, we say thank you. I hope that even if you're not able to spend today with your loved ones that you will be home very soon. don't want to discuss politics at the Thanksgiving dinner table, there's plenty of weather to talk about. Right now, two winter storms have millions of travelers dealing with downpours, high winds, and heavy snow. More than 20 million people are under some sort of watch, warning, or advisory, and some areas are dealing with widespread power outages. We've got CNN meteorologist who's tracking the forecast for us. Chad, the, uh, these storms, uh, which have caused some power outages and probably delaying some travel, Uh, for people they could move into the weekend. You know, absolutely. We've been standing here for two weeks with really nothing on the weather map. You put a holiday in the way and we have one storm on one side of the country and another one coming here from the west. So the storm that made all the delays yesterday, 5,000 airport delays yesterday. Airplanes were, only 130 were canceled, but 5,000 airplanes were delayed at some point yesterday. That storm is moving away. A small storm through the middle part of the country, but we're watching right now is snow in Palmdale. What are the odds that the kids in Palmdale, California have a chance to get one snow day a decade and they're already off because it's Thanksgiving. It's raining hard in Oceanside. (laughs) The entire area down here in Los Angeles is just under a deluge. Orange County, you're under a flash flood warning for the next couple of hours. And by the time you get above about 2,000 feet, it is all snow. So where does this go? Right in the way of the Northeast for Sunday when you're trying to get back home. Not too bad today. Here's the snow all the way through most of Salt Lake City and most of Nevada, Reno. The big ski areas there around uh, the Sierra are going to pick up great snow if you're already there. Probably can't get there because many of the roads are closed. Grapevine is closed. Here comes the rain for the eastern part of the United States and the snow in the Dakotas. Now we're moving you ahead to Sunday. And here's the problem. If you want to get rid of your guests, you should do it on Saturday. (laughs) Because by Sunday, they're going to be stuck here till Monday. So don't let that happen. Say, hey, you know what? I've heard the weather. You have to go today. Don't stick around till Sunday or else you're going to be here till Monday. And we all don't want that.
<laughs> yeah. That's right, Chad. Thanks so much for that uh, report and that advice. And happy Thanksgiving to you, man. To you too. See. And try as they might, the high winds couldn't stop the iconic balloons from flying high in this morning's Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I'm so happy about this. Uh, you've got all of them were there. Astronaut Snoopy, he was cleared for takeoff. Uh, and Snoopy is one of at least three new balloons this year. Knows Gary. Uh, and that he, I guess he's on SpongeBob's back there. And it's SpongeBob's 20th birthday. Uh, and then more familiar faces here. You got Pikachu. Uh, you got blue uh, winter weather forecast and concern over high winds had threatened to ground all of those awesome giant balloons, but they flew high in the sky today for all those folks uh, coming to see the parade. And we'll be right back. Members of Congress are back in their districts this Thanksgiving, and the drama of the Capitol Hill impeachment hearings is following them home. It's becoming a town hall topic for some House Democrats as impeachment-related ads show up targeting vulnerable members in swing districts. On the Senate side, Republicans up for re-election are strategizing with how to answer the impeachment question. And we've got CNN's Phil Mattingly, who joins us now. Uh, Phil, I think there are, what, about 23 Republicans uh, who are up, about 12 uh, Democrats who are up. Who are the Republican senators we should actually be paying attention to as we think about these impeachment hearings? So, Neil, like, like any tough vote that's coming in the United States Senate, you want to look at the frontline folks first. So there's kind of an obvious short list to pay attention to. People like Senator Susan Collins, Senator Joni Ernst in Iowa, Senator Tom Tillis in North Carolina, Senator Cory Gardner in Colorado. But I'm not looking at them because I think that necessarily they're going to vote to remove the president of the United States and impeachment. Why I'm looking at them is for another reason. I think we haven't fully gotten into the media cycle related to what a Senate trial actually entails, but I'm just going to kind of give people a hint here and say we don't know a lot of information. And that's because there aren't a lot of rigid rules as to how this is going to take place. And this is why these senators may matter more uh, than just how they vote in the end. There is going to be a need for a coalition, likely a bipartisan coalition of senators to come together, meet and figure out a structure that actually gives legitimacy to the process and allows the president and Democrats and everybody else in a very polarized, very split country on this issue to feel like maybe unlike some Republicans feel about the House, this was a trial that kind of holds up the institution of the United States Senate is supposed to be held up. And at the end of it, people feel like everybody got a fair shake. Now, that's a, that's a, long, that's a long way off. <laughs> and it's also a bit of a tough sell, given how split everybody is at this point in time. But pay attention to people like Susan Collins, to people like Cory Gardner, and see if they start to cross party lines. Again, not to vote out the president, but to try and figure out a way to have a Senate trial that's structured in a manner that both sides feel like is fair. The two people you need to pay attention to, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer, the two leaders, mm -hmm. they'll be the ones meeting to actually lay out the top lines structure of this, but the details of who the witnesses are, how votes take place, how long the trial is, that's going to take some rank and file members in the middle to come together. That's why I think these senators are most important right now. We'll see how they vote. That's all going to play out in the weeks right. ahead. But right now, how the Senate trial actually works is perhaps even more important than that, at least for the moment. Yeah. And we know the president obviously eyeing uh, some of these uh, senators as yep. well. Uh, Phil, thanks so much for that report and happy Thanksgiving to you. Thanks, thanks for being here, man. Uh, Melanie, I'm going to go right to you on this and I'm going to put on uh, the screen here Abigail Spanberger, uh, who's sort of one of those frontline uh, Dems. And here is her strategy in terms of impeachment going home and talking uh, to her folks in the district. So I figured when I went out to go hang out with a Democrat, 
the week after last week. Yeah. The topic would be the president. But I'm looking at your schedule. It doesn't seem to be the topic. Why is that? It's Alex Healthcare. Uh, because that's, I mean, it's a top issue for people within my district. Yeah. And if you think about the way in which uh, they ran and won in 2018, it was on these bread and butter issues Mm -hmm. uh, like health care, like student loan debt, like uh, drug prices. Uh, So that's apparently what her strategy is going forward as well. Right. Republicans are actually trying to turn the table on Democrats. And in 2020, they're saying that they're obsessed with impeachment and that they're doing this at the expense of things like prescription drug prices and a trade deal with the president. But we are seeing a divergent split between how Democrats are dealing with this. You are we're seeing some like Spanberger, who's trying to distance herself and build her own brand. But you're seeing some people like Tom Malinowski of New Jersey, who's actually just leaning into it and embracing it because the thinking is Democrats are going to be saddled with impeachment no matter what. So they might as well, um, you know, run towards it instead of run away from it. And I think the other thing to look out for is these conversations that Democrats are having with their constituents this week could ultimately shape what articles of impeachment look like because Democrats are still debating whether to keep it narrow, whether to pull in Mueller. And Pelosi's been looking out for her frontline members throughout this entire process. So if they come back and say, we're only comfortable with XYZ, I suspect leadership will probably follow. And here was Mickey Sherrill in New Jersey. She, another frontline Democrat, as you talk about, and somebody certainly Nancy Pelosi is paying attention to. Here's what happened in one of her town halls. It appears that for the last couple of years, all that has been going on is investigations. And it's keeping us away from the work in our country. I did not run for office to impeach the president. I ran on taxes and health care and infrastructure. The president crossed a line for me when it seemed as if he had withheld critical military funding from a security partner because he wanted them to investigate an opponent of his in an election. And Catherine, that was Mikey Sherrill. I said Mickey before, so I'm going to put that on the record. Correction there. Uh, And you see her there essentially saying this was a matter of national security. You hear a lot of Democrats saying essentially they didn't have a choice in terms of this impeachment process. Yeah, you definitely had these Democrats, especially those in your more moderate districts, freshmen who, you know, flipped districts that were Republican in in 2018, who have been cautious about going towards impeachment. And a lot of them, yeah, did finally say, we think these, there are these, and a lot of them said, we're okay with an impeachment inquiry. Mm-hmm. We have to answer these questions. But these are people who now, the, you know, the Trump campaign are watching these districts very, very closely because they see opportunity there to cast these, these members as, as, as Melanie was saying, you're not in touch with what people want, not working on issues like healthcare and education and jobs, but instead sort of obsessed with endless investigations. And that's a real issue for these folks. They do want to show that they are working on other issues. And this, you talk about this language, uh, sort of the Republican talking points, Democrats to focus on impeachment, exact language uh, in this ad. What have the Democrats done? They're wasting millions on a partisan witch hunt to reverse the 2016 election. They know they can't compete, so they try to impeach. Tell Congressman Ben McAdams to stop impeachment now. Instead of working to secure... When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.